Hey there. Welcome to 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. I'm Lindsay, and I'm joined by my co-host and real-life partner, Carling. We're diving into the 90s hit drama through today's lens. Get ready for our off-the-cuff commentary and peeling back the layers of the Camden family. We'll tackle everything from family rules, life lessons, and 90s fashion. Join us every week for a light-hearted queer perspective and a trip down memory lane. Whether you're a die-hard fan or new to the show, this recap is for you. So find us anywhere you get your podcasts at 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. Hi there, Carling here. Whether this is your first episode of this podcast you're listening to, or you're working backwards from the more recent ones, these earliest episodes require a bit of patience, humor, and understanding. These episodes are a time machine back to when I had no idea what I was doing in editing, sound quality, or production. And there were two hosts. We were full of passion, laughter, and a whole lot of trial and error. But here's the thing. These episodes are the essence of my humble beginnings, and I'm hoping that's part of the charm. The raw authenticity that shaped the foundation of this podcast. Although this podcast has evolved and my interview skills and audio quality have vastly improved, the heart and soul of these episodes remain timeless. The stories I shared back then, they still hold significance and are worth hearing. These episodes make me appreciate how far I've come. So thank you in advance for your patience and enjoy. I couldn't see out of my eye this morning, so I went to the doctors and they're telling me that I have a tumor in my eye and that it's cancer. Hey, Michelle. Hey, girl. Happy... Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. Um, Remember in high school when we had a Valentine's Day party? But we called it... It was like an anti-Valentine's Day. It was an anti-Valentine's Day party. Yeah. And we made a black heart cake. Yeah. And we thought we were really cool. I know. That yeah. was good times. Um, today we're recording <laughs> and it's Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. And you hate it. I don't hate it. I'm just sad. Yeah. That's valid. Yeah. And what was your Facebook status? It was so sad. <laughs> I said, do you know what day is terrible when uh, your forever Valentine is gone? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It's fine. It's a stupid I holiday a anyways. Consolation? I was going to say constellation. <laughs> you are my constellation, Carly. <laughs> <laughs> will be your constellation and your consolation prize. Thank you. You did come over and we uh, <laughs> laid in my bed. <laughs> we did. We laid in your bed under we a blanket. Chatted. We watched some Netflix. We watched Parks and Rec and we ordered pizza yeah. and wings. Yeah. It was wonderful. That sounds like romance if I've ever right? had it. Yeah. Yeah. Bed. Yeah. Food. Yeah. And no touching. Yeah. I mean... It was kind of like Netflix and chill, but so yeah. Anyway, we're just interrupted <laughs> by kids, but here we are back at it. Uh, yeah. Um, and you do stuff for your kids for Valentine's Day? Yeah, I always put out like little treats and stuff the yeah. night before. Well, that's good. Yeah. Um, How about you? How was your week? It was really good. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I don't know. I had a nice weekend. That's good. I'm yeah. Glad. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> And work's been bananas, though. Yeah. Because the Alberta government changed the restrictions. They were easing into step one from having, you could have some youth sports, but it had to be one-on-one coaching only, and you could only have a maximum of 
eight people. Anyway, that was on a Friday night. And then Saturday morning they announced, okay, okay, JK, JK, <sighs> you can have teams doing skill practice with a maximum of 10. So you could have like one coach and nine kids, which wow. is completely different. Yeah. So by the time I got to work on Monday, I had like over 50 emails of people being like, what is happening? Oh my gosh. And, and then, then to have to like coordinate. Do yeah. you do it on like a first come first serve? Or? No, like there's all these leagues that already had bookings. Mm. So now we just, they have to restructure how they're running because they can't have gameplay. So like the hockey teams can oh. have skill practice, okay, but not gameplay. Anyway, it's a whole thing. So oh, work man. was bananas, mm-hmm. but I'm hoping to go back to like more of my regular full-time job soon because mm-hmm. we're so short staffed. Everybody's doing everything. Right. So like thankful to have a job, but it's been so bananas. But I like it. Like, I, I, I yeah. do well under pressure and chaos. And I don't know. What else is new? Just this past Friday, we dropped our part two of my story on mm-hmm. Patreon. So we have recorded already four parts. Yeah, and it's going to be more than that. I even. think we have one more part. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like, oh, we're trying to stretch it no. out. There's just so much There's that happened. So much. And it's crazy to think, like, it just sound, feels like a whole other lifetime. Oh, 100%. Yeah. It, it feels so strange to yeah. think back on it. Um, yeah, it's really bizarre. And yeah. and it's interesting because you're telling your story, but then, like, I'm remembering things that have yeah. happened or you're remembering things so that it makes it longer and it makes yeah. it more, right? But it's all super important stuff. And we've, we've gotten a lot of really good feedback about it. Yeah. About it all. So I think it's really important. If you haven't already and you're like, what are they talking about? Mm -hmm. Go over to patreon.com slash I did not sign up for this and literally sign up for it. Yeah. Even though (laughs) it says I did not. Yeah. You get access to over like instant access to over 24 bonus episodes. Yep. And yeah, I don't know. We're just having a good time. And tomorrow is family day. Uh Uh-huh. Is that only in Alberta? I think it used to be in Alberta only or maybe Alberta and BC, but I think it's in more provinces now. Because when I was growing up in Ontario, we never had it. But it's not like they always kind of tie in family day with teacher convention and reading week. So my kids have the whole week off. Yeah. Which is going to be work for you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Tuesday I have off, so I'll come here and hang out with kiddos. Yeah. But I don't know. It's kind of nice to have an extra long weekend. It is. It's funny because we would... It, I remember we it would always, family day would always be coming up, but Anthony would like always be working on family right. day. So we never really do anything. Yeah. What but do you I do mean, tomorrow? I don't know. Maybe we'll watch movies or something. Yeah. I've always been like really anti-crowd. So even on a family oh, day, like I wouldn't yeah. go anywhere where there no. would be like mobs of people. So no. maybe we'll just watch some movies and hang out. That's lovely. It is lovely. You're lovely. You. Ha <laughs> ha. Your face. Um... <laughs> Well, anyway, I don't know. What else do we have to talk about? The week's been good. It's freezing cold, but it's getting warmer. Oh, my warmer. gosh. Yeah. We just got out of it. Oh, that's what it, that's what happened this week. Yes. It was cold as balls outside. Yeah. And we're talking like minus 40, 40. with the wind chill Celsius. Yeah. Celsius. Yeah. So my kid's bus wasn't running almost yeah. the whole week. Yeah. And talk about a nightmare. Yeah. Because then you have to pack up five kids. <sighs> And drop them off at two locations by a very specific time. Yeah. And fight the traffic. Yeah. But the first day that I was in the parking lot, I let my car kind of idle for a little bit too long and it died. Yeah. I was at your house unloading your dishwasher. Yeah. 
I was you like, know, as hey, you girl. Do. Yeah. My car's dead. <laughs> and it was funny. My car is very specifically set up for my lifestyle, which is dogs. Yes. And so I have an SUV and the back seat is just like a hammock. Uh-huh. And then the back is where other do- more dogs go. And the floor <laughs> behind the seats is just covered in things. And so I like pulled up and we just, I like threw it. Oh, I have her back, Katie's yeah. backpack. Yes, you do. So I like threw everything into the back of the to the SUV. I mean, thankfully you were at my house because yeah. if you were in Calgary, like we were sitting in the car that wasn't turning on yeah. and it was minus 35. Yeah. We would have been cold. Yeah. So it worked out and then Lindy came out a little bit later and boosted it for me yeah. and it was fine. But it's funny because my perspective now, I remember if that would have happened to me when Anthony was still alive and stuff like that, I would have been... I would have freaked out. Right. I would have been like, I don't know what to do. I would have called him crying. Like, yeah. you know, been a crazy person. And now it's just like, okay, well, no one's going to die. Like, we're going to yeah. be fine. I have a lot of people who I can ask to help me. You were like two minutes away. Yeah. Um, It's not a big deal. Yeah. And it was just like, it's interesting how much your perspective changes when you're just like, we'll figure this out. We're not yeah. going to live in this parking lot. Yeah. Like, when you've gone through a real <laughs> crisis, the small crises are like, hmm. Exactly. You guys did good, though. Yeah, we did well. And then everybody was silly. We all piled in and laughed about it. And the twins were so excited for me to pick them up in my car. Oh, it was Adrian's birthday. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So it was Adrian's 12th birthday. So we needed to, like, get home. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, his friend brought pizza over. and Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Crazy times. Yeah. But we survived the deep freeze and it is warming up. It's going to be, like, minus 15 tomorrow. Balmy. It's like a... 25 30 degree difference yeah. that's huge yeah and then like one degree by saturday mm-hmm. we're gonna be out there wearing shorts oh yeah yeah sunbathing <laughs> anyway today's episode we are so i was like nervous for you for this interview because oh, really? we interview emily who yes. um her husband passed away and she honestly had almost two years ago to the day yeah it was yeah very similar very timing. close and yeah. um so i was so thankful to connect with her but i was like a little bit nervous that like you know that hits close to home oh for sure but i, I mean you did good with jen's episode too yeah and you know what like any anytime you're talking to someone else who's been through what you've been through it yeah. helps right yeah. like you can learn from each other feel validated by each other so it, it was an amazing to talk to her and um, yeah, the yeah. work she's doing is amazing. It is, yeah. So let's get to it. Let's do it. Hello, Emily. Hello there. How are you? I'm really good. How are you guys today? We are good. Not too bad, although we're in a cold snap and yeah. I my furnace just died. So I'm in Michelle's house, thankfully warm, but like <laughs> dealing with that. Oh, Not yeah. the best timing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's Sunday. It seems like a nice day. It seems kind of relaxed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um pretty nice here. It's it's Colorado, so it's kind of cold, but we get that nice sunshine. So I'm grateful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've heard Colorado is very similar in like climate and everything to uh, Calgary where we are. We've okay. got like the mountains and and we get, you know, cold weather, but really sunny. Yes, totally. It sounds a lot alike. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, why don't we jump right in? I'd love to have you sort of introduce yourself. Tell us who you are, what do you do, where you're from. 
Yeah. Okay. So I'm Emily. I um, live out here in Colorado now and it's been kind of a journey. I've bopped around a lot of different places because life has just taken me in all sorts of directions, which I guess is why we're speaking here today. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was a, I'm a, I'm a mom. I'm a widowed mom now. In March of 2019, my husband passed away from uveal melanoma, which is a rare cancer that affects about 2000 people a year. And, um, he was diagnosed way back in like 2011, I believe. So it's been a long fight, but for anyone who has gone through the whole cancer journey, I mean, we just had so much hope. We were like, we're young, we're going to beat this, we're going to be the one, that number, you know, who just defeats all the odds. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that was back when we were both like fresh out of college. We had been college sweethearts. And um, so we just went on and like just lived our life and, we moved out to California. We started a family together. Life was really good. And then in August of 2017, um, I was pregnant with our second child and my daughter was two years old. Ian received a phone call that like his cancer had metastasized. There were tumors everywhere. And that just kind of started this, launched us into this whole period of anticipatory grief, which I didn't know that that's what the term was called at the time, but it's just this period of like making plans on quicksand, it feels like, because you just don't know what the future holds. You don't know if your husband's going to be there in three months to see your son's birthday or if he's going to, you know, if the cancer is going to take him down. So we had about like 15 months of that. And then, um, yeah, Ian passed away uh, about two years ago in March. And it's just been this like journey of self-discovery of figuring out what matters to me in life and like how to move forward and to rebuild my life without him as a widowed mom, which Michelle, I'm sure you can relate. Um, and yeah, like a part of like how I've kind of found purpose and meaning is by about purpose and meaning in his loss is by sharing my story very publicly on social media and in founding a business called Move Through, which helps people basically embrace grief and deal with all of the emotions through exercise. So that's kind of where I'm at today. It's been a freaking crazy journey. It's been really hard, but it's also like changed me for the better. And um, I I say that without guilt and um, it's taken me a long time to kind of get there, but I just say it because I want, I think sometimes these stories can trap us and um, it's like, we've already been through hell. So why don't we deserve happiness too? Yeah. Wow. 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 I'm sorry. Can I just ask? Uh, it was a lot. What? Sorry. <laughs> no, no. It's it's amazing. What was the date that he passed away? He passed on March 26, 2019. Oh. I'm coming up on the two-year death anniversary. Okay. My husband actually passed away on March 12th, 2019. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. When you said March, I was like, whoa, wait a second. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be nuts. I actually met another widow whose husband passed on the exact same day from melanoma. Too. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, it's wild. Um, and when you – so when he was first diagnosed – I guess, I don't know. Can you take us through a little bit about, like, you guys are so young, you have a young family, 
was it sort of like, okay, we'll get through this. And it was just a mindset of getting through it. Or was there, what was the realization that this was going to be terminal and it was going to change your life? So yeah, so there were kind of two different turning points. The first one was when back in like 2011, we were both 24 and we were actually on a break. We had been college sweethearts and he went to go pursue a career in China and I went to grad school. So we were like, we just need some time apart, but we still kept in touch. But I remember I was working at my internship one day and I got a call from him just in tears and he was like, I, you know, I couldn't see out of my eye this morning. So I went to the doctors and they're telling me that I have a tumor in my eye and that it's cancer. And so I was like, what? Like, this is crazy, you know? So it was just a lot of like confusion and, you know, trying to figure out like what that meant for us. And I think, so anyways, he ended up coming back from China at that point because it was just kind of this like stop halt on life being like, oh my God, like what's important? Like we're not invincible. And I have this girl who loves me. <laughs> we ended up, he ended up proposing me to me after that. And I think it's funny because in the back of my, of both of our minds, I just don't think we, we saw him dying. Like we still thought it's just in the eye. So it, it was just in the eye. We thought we had control kind of over the situation, right? So we ended up getting engaged. We ended up getting married. And then right after we got married, he actually had his have his eye removed. And that's where we kind of thought it was like the worst of it. We were like, all right, we've survived the worst. The tumor's out. Like we're going to be good. And so we just proceeded with life. Like, I don't know. I think now that I've been doing so much work on like myself and just resilience and everything, like we're all programmed differently in Mm -hmm. how face hardship and how we, you know, just view the world, right? Like I'm an Enneagram type seven. So I'm kind of like programmed to seek joy. I don't know if you guys know the Enneagram much, but like Ian was just very optimistic too. And um, so we just didn't go there. But then definitely like the second turning point was that time in 2017 when the cancer metastasizes. Because once this type of cancer metastasizes, it's pretty much like the odds are total junk. Like, yeah, yeah, it's pretty much terminal. But like, we just kind of chose, our mentality was that we're not going to get ahead of ourselves. Um, Yes, these are the odds, but just because these are the numbers doesn't mean that there's going to be one statistic that can like offset it. And maybe that'll be us. And we just tried not to speculate too much and just really, really focus on the time that we had in the moment. Like, I'm so lucky because, like, my husband, Ian, was the one who just really, like, led us down that that journey. And it's hard because you have, like, so many people who, you know, have opinions and, like, what you should do. And the whole, like, medical system is just such – it's just so confusing and hard to navigate. Yeah. And how – sorry, how old were your kids the, when this started happening? Like when the second time? In 2017, my daughter was two and I was pregnant. <laughs> we had oh, just been pregnant with Theo. Yeah, like we had like his reveal. And then like literally the next month we were at the beach and we got a call because Ian had been having lower back pain. And they were like, yeah, there's tumors all over your spine. And ugh, it was just Oh awful. my gosh. So how long was the back pain going on for? <laughs> It had been going on for a while and, um, you know, it's hard because in hindsight, you're like, God, we should have like gone in sooner to like get it checked out. Mm-hmm. Um, but we thought like he had been going for scans twice a year anyway. So we thought like we kind of had it under control that way. And we didn't yeah. think that like 
it's so weird with weird cancers, right? Like rare cancers, because they're like, well, typically the cancer metastasizes to the lungs. So they were like just doing the scans of the lungs. Um, and so maybe we missed the one on his spine and maybe it could have been prevented. I mean, you go back and you question everything, right? But um, yeah, it had been maybe like a couple months of back pain. And it was his like physical therapist who actually kind of caught caught it. Oh, wow. wow. I feel like, I mean, especially at, I mean, Carly and I are, are 37, yeah. 36. <laughs> I'm like, I have back pain all the time. <laughs> like, I, I don't think it's something that you really, you know, would, would be worried about, right? And yeah. Yeah, you don't associate it with metastatic melanoma. <laughs> no, absolutely not. And when he... um when he had the cancer the first time, did they give him odds of it it possibly coming back? Well, yeah. I mean, at that point it was stage one. And mm-hmm. so kind of said that, so once they removed his eye and got the tumor out, they said that typically if you don't have any metastasis within the first like five years, you're probably in the clear. And I've talked to many people with, it's either it goes by uveal melanoma or ocular melanoma. And I've gotten kind of involved in that community and I've met people who, you know, after that five-year period, they're surviving and they're fine. Um, Ian made it like three years through and then it metastasized. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So he, you get that diagnosis and what, what's the plan? Like, yeah, it's crazy. Like, so what happened is we, we were living in San Diego at the time and the treatment center there was basically saying, all right, we have this one like FDA approved drug, but like the success rate is like less than 10%. And that's for melanoma, not for ocular melanoma. So you're like, well, that is no good. <laughs> like, yeah. I just like go and do that. So we ended up moving back to Colorado because that's where my family is. Because I was pregnant, I had our other child and I ended up like giving birth to Theo shortly after all this news, right? So we needed help with the kids. And then we decided to go to MD Anderson, which is like a really big cancer center in Houston, Texas. Mm -hmm. And we enrolled in experimental treatments because the only, I mean, there was no cure. So we were just, we just said, all right, let's just wing it. Let's, let's see if something else can cure this. And what that looked like was you go to MD Anderson, you try to get into an experimental treatment. And there's a ton of different like um, factors that qualify you for these studies. So if you've taken a certain drug before, it might like eliminate you from qualifying. So you have to kind of like really like ask the right questions and know who you're talking to. And luckily I have a lot of doctors in my family. So they were able to help us with that situation. I honestly don't know how people do it um, when they don't have that because it's really, really, using. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, we would like enroll in a study and Ian would take some weird medication that would usually make him really, really sick. Like there was one time we couldn't go back home because he was just like shaking so badly and like vomiting. And it's just, yeah, it was, it was really hard. And then you, you do a study for like three weeks to maybe like two months, depending on what, what, you know, the study entails and then you go back and then it's like your moment of fate. Like, did it work or did it not? And, and that, that I just remember like we had so much anxiety built up around those moments and the doctor usually was just like, well, <laughs> it didn't work or, or it's stable. Like stable was good news. Right. Cause it yeah. was a good time, but like there was never a moment where they're like, wow, your cancer is like really like the tumors are really like shrinking. <laughs> And so, yeah, it was just like we, you have to kind of plan life around those treatment schedules. So if we knew, 
um, that Ian would have a break. Then we would go and do something fun with the family. And then if we knew that he'd have another study, we never knew how he would react. So we just kind of had to like hunker down during those moments. And it's just, it, it really took a lot of like mindfulness. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) And were you both working? So Ian was working and then he like, at first, I think the work was a really healthy distraction for him. But then as we kept getting more and more bad news, he was like, I'm like, I don't know what the future holds. And if this is my last moments or last like year, months, days, I don't know. But like, I don't, I want to do it. I want to make the most of this time and spend it with my family and with like things that I really care about. So he was able to go on disability and his work was really awesome. They ended up like paying for him for basically like a whole year, which was amazing because that allowed me, like I was a stay at home mom. Um, I did like fitness stuff on the side, but it allowed us to really like maximize our time together, which was, I'm so grateful for that. Well, because you probably like just go through everything and think like what, is a priority and what doesn't matter. Like I know after losing my husband, I felt like that, like your perspective is so different Yeah. when you think about things that you did before and thought like that was such a waste of time or like, why did I worry about those kind of things? But for you to have to do that while he was still alive and getting treatments. Yeah. You're, you're in, almost in a limbo, right? You're trying to figure out what, what to do. Michelle, you nailed it. It's exactly like a limbo. And that's like, there's actually a book that I read that really helped me called Living in Limbo because it's just what you just don't know. Like, it's, I almost feel like in some ways, like that period of anticipatory grief was almost harder for me because I wasn't able to like accept it. You know, like you, when you talk about the five stages of grief, once someone like passes away, you get to this place of acceptance because it's like death is so finite. But when you're still kind of like wondering what the future holds, it's really hard to like know what direction to take your thoughts in. Like I would like think about my life without Ian and I'd be like, oh my God, I have to like, I might have to date again and like all this stuff. And I'd be like, no, 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 Emily, like don't go there. And I'd like feel guilty about it. So yeah, it was weird trying to navigate that. I think it's so interesting, like thinking about anticipatory grief. I hadn't thought about it, but um, my ex-partner's mom passed away from cancer and we were... I say blessed with, you know, the gift of two weeks notice, we didn't realize like how quickly it would happen. Um, But give being having that two weeks and that feeling of, of the grief in those two weeks versus uh, we had another family pass away with no notice and it was completely unexpected. And it's just such two different experiences. Um, Yeah. I bet. And I've often wondered about that because now I'm working so much in the grief space. And I mean, I I can only imagine, I guess, like I am so grateful. Like we even had 15 months of anticipatory grief. So we really lived it up in that whole like last year. Um, And I think that that's really helped me get to a, this like place of acceptance and surrender and being able to like move forward where I haven't had to like over, like there's trauma in watching someone fade away and like lose control of their body and not be able to do the things that they used to do. But like just that, like here one day gone the next, like I was able to say my goodbyes and tell him how much I loved him and how much his life mattered. And I had that like closure and peace. So yeah, like I, it's interesting to hear like you having gone through both experiences, like how different that was. Yeah. What was it like sort of 
um, having your partner, like what were some of those moments that you had where it was just the two of you and, you know, were there discuss? I, I always think about like the movie Stepmom or, you know, movies where there's somebody dying and they have the gift of time to sort of say their goodbyes and do the things. But was there much discussion about what he hoped your life would look like after, you know, like he wasn't going to get to see his kids grow up because they were so young. Did you guys have conversations like that? It's like the hardest part, right? He, like I tried, I, like our motto during that whole time was like, hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. Mm -hmm. And it was really hard because I'd want to have those conversations with him. Like I'd be like, Ian, like, what do you think about, like it, like I would, I would try to frame it like, you know, like in the case that this doesn't work out, like, what do you think about writing letters to like our kids? But it's so hard because he actually got mad at me one time because he's like, Emily, like everyone else is like giving up on me and like, I don't, I don't need you to give up on me too. And, and like, and I didn't want to, but it, it, it's so, it's just such a touchy subject. And I tried, I tried to just like follow his lead. Um, but I think Ian was in so much denial about his situation. And I totally understand why. I mean, how, how can you like face the fact that you have to leave your like young kids and you don't get to see them. And so I wish that we did have more of those conversations, but I, you know, I felt like I tried to do my part to bring them up in a lot of different ways. Like one conversation that really helped was I just asked him like, let's just talk about like our like core values and like what are like some of like the left life lessons that we would like to pass to our kids. And it worked out kind of perfectly because like my brother's company had been doing this just for their, their employees. And they were like putting together a book and they, they weren't facing death, but it's just like in general, like this is such a beautiful exercise to go through. Right. And so I at least have that, that I feel like I can like pass down to my children. But yeah, I guess it's just like different for everyone. But I, I couldn't, I didn't get to have those conversations with him. I I did like once he was in hospice, get to tell him how I felt just that one time that he got like so mad and upset about like me like giving up. I just kind of said, all right, well, I'm just going to allow you to lead and that'll be that. <laughs> I can imagine it's, it's like a, you know, walking on eggshells yeah. feeling, right? Because you, you don't want to make it harder for him, but you also want to almost prepare, you know, when he does pass. And my thought was, how how were you during that time? Like, how was, how were you handling that? Because I can uh, relate in a way of that, I don't know, the feeling of not wanting to take any moment for granted and feeling guilt if you were having a bad day together or um, maybe you wanted to sleep in or, or take care of yourself for a moment but then feeling guilt because, you know, your, your time is so short together. Like, how did you handle all of that? That's such a good question. And that was hard, right? Cause like there was times too, like I was this caretaker towards the end and like, I would sometimes get like resentful, like mm-hmm. walking through the hospital at MD Anderson and just thinking like, I just want to be out, like having a glass of wine with my friends right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I want to show up for my husband too, but it was like, you know, like almost a year and a half of this. And then, um, 
yeah, like there were times where, you know, I would want to go out and like, I, I teach fitness on the side and that was like my escape and my outlet. But then I could tell like Ian would be like at home and like he needed me there. And yeah, that it was like a constant struggle. So I tried to just be really real with myself. Um, luckily I'm someone who has no problem asking for help. <laughs> be vocal about it. That's so really important. It really is. It's been like a total just survival strategy. I'm really bad at it. (laughs) (laughs) But like his mom also moved out um, because she wanted to be there and I wanted her to be there too. Like that's her, you know? And so that helped a lot too because I felt like when I did leave um, to go take care of myself, like Ian was in like great hands and – um, I didn't feel like as guilty about it, but yeah, it was a real, real delicate balance and it was really hard. And even when he was in hospice, like there was one time where I was like, I need a break. I need to go to a yoga class. And then I like went out for dinner and I got a call that night from my family members being like, you need to get back here. Ian won't let us like administer his drugs. You need to be the one like doing it. And I was just like, Oh my God. Like, so we ended up hiring like a private nurse because it's, it is like you want to do everything and you want to show up for the person you love and care about most in the world. But you have to be like, or at least for me, like I just had to get real about like what my capabilities were and like I needed to care of myself. Otherwise I was no good to anyone. Right. And that's been, that's lesson has like bled into this experience um, since he's passed away as well. Yeah. And I I think too, like um, anyone that's kind of dealing with a spouse who has, um, who has, I guess, noticed that, that they, that they will pass. um, I don't know, maybe kind of puts that stuff aside and things like I'll take care of myself later. Like I'll, I'll deal with all of this later, like after, but it's so much harder to do it after as well, like to navigate taking care of your own mental health um, when you're also dealing with like your children's grief and the family's grief and all the arrangements and everything. Right. So there, mm-hmm. there's a very like, I don't know, fine balance of trying to take care of that person that you love and yourself as well. Right. Well, and I also didn't want to become like totally resentful of the situation. Right. Yeah. Like I want to enjoy the final days minutes, whatever, that whatever time I have left with him, I want to enjoy it, but I can't show up fully and be present and grateful and loving if I am a freaking mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, how long was he in hospice for? So this was kind of an interesting story. We, um, in February of 2019, Ian was just like, um, I feel like I need to go home. He lived in Hawaii. Um, he's like, I'm afraid that if I don't go now, I will never, I'm not going to make it there. Cause we, there, things have just gone like pretty downhill. Um, so we were like, all right, let's go out there for three weeks and just like, you know, play in the ocean, see your friends, do do what we want to do. And we got out there and his pain just got so out of control. And the doctor, so we took him to the hospital and the doctor was like, you have cancer like everywhere you're dying. And it's so interesting because that was the first time that a doctor had like really been upfront with us about his prognosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I mean, we had never asked, I guess, because I, and again, I led 
allowed Ian to lead that conversation. But um, it was just, it was, I guess just in hindsight, it's just interesting to see how that gets handled in the medical field as well. Because in some ways, like it's nice to know how much time you have yeah. <laughs> and to have someone be really real with you um, as opposed to just false hope. But um, especially when it's like that far along. But anyways, uh, we ended up going to Hawaii for a three-week vacation that ended up turning into three months because we got there and like a week later he checked into hospice and then about a month later he passed away. Wow. Where did you oh guys gosh. stay when you were in Hawaii? Oh my God. Another amazing story. So Ian's mom is has a home there, but we were there with like the kids and Ian and um, – people have been, it's amazing just how generous and caring and compassionate people are. Like I've, that's one thing that I've taken away from this experience, but some of his friends arranged for us through like a friend of a friend to stay in this person's home that like was right on the ocean. And it overlooked these two islands called the Mokuluas, which is where like Ian grew up like surfing and like all of these amazing childhood memories. And so we were just supposed to stay in this home for a week, but that happened to be the week that we checked into hospice. So the woman who owned the house, like I, I was like frantic. I was like, oh, sh- shoot, like I've got to find like a place for us to stay in Hawaii for like however, who knows how long. And it's like expensive in there too, right? Yeah. Um. So anyways, this woman, she's like my guardian angel, I swear. She was like, nope, just stay here for as long as you need. She actually had like other guests who were supposed to come and stay. And she was like, I'm going to make other arrangements for them. This is like for you guys. And oh, wow that passing there I mean it was like the most like peaceful amazing passing if you had you know for for some for as bad as like losing someone can be like this was the most ideal circumstance it was wow Wow. and what was his passing like was he surrounded by like were your kids there you there as mom yeah it was like the hospice is just such a surreal experience like um I mean it was like a month and just you know he was on morphine and just like kind of out of it and I don't know it just felt the whole thing just felt very surreal like in hindsight I feel like I was just so disconnected and just like living in this dream but the hospice nurse came to check on him and just said you know I think he's going to pass either like tonight or tomorrow so when they said that we had had like so many visitors coming to like say their goodbyes and everything so we just said all right this is like family only everyone out so that each of us could have like our time with him and I so that night I like laid there with him like said everything that I needed to say and then I was just like all right I'm I'm gonna go to sleep um so I went to bed and then I woke up again at like three in the morning and I went in there and the night nurse and his mom were in there and so I was just like you know I'm gonna give her her time she needs it this too and I was like and like if anything is to happen like I do need to be there for the kids in the morning right so um so I went back to sleep and then I woke up to my aunt saying, um, like he, Ian passed away and, um, I know I'm getting emotional about it, but it's interesting because he passed like right before the sunrise. Oh. And, like it was like right when everyone had left the room, like his mom wasn't there. The night nurse had gone to grab coffee and my aunt had just left the room as well. I like, honestly don't think that there's any other way that he would have gone. Cause Ian had like so much pride. Hmm. 
I also like to think that like he was a surfer. So they have this thing called Dawn Patrol, which Ian was super into. It was like going to surf right before the sun rises. Oh. So, so that, yeah, that was his passing. And so I went in there and, you know, he was, he was gone. And I just said like one more goodbye. And then my kids woke up and it just like brings you right back. Right. Yeah. So, oh gosh. Yeah. And, and that was hard. Like I, I said, Hey, you know, like my, my son had just turned one. He didn't know what was going on, but my daughter Izzy was three then. And I just said, Hey, is he like, you know, daddy, daddy died. Do you want to go say goodbye to him? And we had been, we had been very like open and honest with her about like what cancer was and what it meant, especially towards the end when we knew that he was probably going to pass away. And so I was like, do you want to say goodbye? And she was like, no, I don't. Um, or she like didn't really get it and kind of just like went off and played. And then she was like, yeah, mom, I want to go see daddy. So we went in there and uh, yeah, she just, she said goodbye. And then she was like, can I go? <laughs> like kids are so, their yeah. person. Moss is just so interesting. And then she just went off and played and we went to the beach and then they, and while we were at the beach, they took his body away. And when we got back, she was like, wait, like where'd daddy go? And I was like, oh, he, he like went up to the sky now. Like that's where he is. He's in the stars and the sun. And she was like, like just poof. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, like kind of like that. And you know, from then on, she had like so many questions that we kind yeah. of, kind of honed in on that narrative but yeah it was it was a hard it was like such a hard it was a hard day but it was actually like surprising how peaceful and almost like the sense of relief that there was too which I'm sure is very different than a sudden loss yeah yeah well and Um, and you probably run through so many different scenarios of that day in your head before it happens right and to have that those moments with him and then it to be quiet and then you can spend time with your kids and that sounds you know as as terrible as it is it does sound like a a nice yeah a a nice nice day day. I don't know how to say that but I know exactly what you mean it's like when you're preparing when it's been like that long of a fight and you just like see your husband like in a body and in a life that you know he just like hates yeah like Yeah, like the suffering is over and yeah, it it was okay. It, again, it was just like so surreal, right? Yeah, yeah. Did you have any guidance from anybody about sort of like how to navigate grief with your kids? Yeah, we like when Ian's cancer started getting bad, we I consulted a play therapist and had Izzy in play therapy. And then just like kind of did like our own research. But I I really used her a lot for just like, how do I talk to my kids about like grief and about death? And she gave me a bunch of resources. And her whole philosophy was just like, you just need to be like concrete because kids don't think abstract. Like it's not like daddy went to sleep or, you know, it's like daddy died the cancer made his body stop working and he's not coming back. Right. I know it's like, sounds so brutal, but like, I, I guess her whole thing was like, if you're not like concrete, they start to create other stories and then there can be even more like fear and like shame about the experience. If you're not just like kind of brutally open and honest, at least yeah. for age, like, I don't know how it is for older kids, but, um, that's how we handled the experience. Wow. So my twins were um, two and a half when um, my husband died. And so they're my youngest out of five. You know, they didn't really understand. We we did say, you know, dad died. And 
but I still, you know, then I'd be driving around with them and they'd be in the car seat and they'd be talking to each other about like where daddy is and that he's in heaven. And, and then they'd be like, daddy died. Right, mom. And and I'm like, yeah. And it's just like, they're so, I don't know, just like so blunt about it. Or, or when we, when they go to daycare and if there's a new teacher, they'd be like, my dad died. He's in heaven. And they're like, Oh, okay. Like, <laughs> but it's just so like matter of fact, right. That totally. Yeah. My- the exact same thing. We were like out at Chipotle once and this guy had a Broncos gear on and she's like, oh, like daddy loved the Broncos, but he died. And people just don't know how to respond. No. Which, I don't know. I, I, they, but it's like, they don't, they didn't say anything to her. They just like ignore her. They look away. Oh. And I was like, Izzy, it's okay to talk about this. Like this yes. is your you know, that's her story and like, it's her way of processing it too. So part of it, I feel like my mission of just like talking about this and like airing it out is like, let's normalize this conversation. Like, you know, if it hasn't happened to you, it will at some point, like we're all going to lose someone that we love. Yeah. It's life. Right. So. Yeah. And, and it's almost like you want to have the same, I don't know. You want to process it the same way as a child, right? Like I want it to just be that simple. Like yes. he, he was here and now he's gone and it's sad, but like, you know, it, it's not anything to be shameful about or you should talk about it. And and if you're feeling it or if you have a question, just say something, you know, and there's so much complication when you're an adult of like, I should behave this way in this situation, or I shouldn't talk about this right now. Totally, totally resonate with that. And it's yeah. funny like I have another widow friend with young kids and I was telling her, I was like, God, like my kids, like, it's so sad. They're not going to have their dad. They're just going to be like lacking and like always missing out and like never having that father figure. And she's like, Emily, you realize that you're projecting your adult perspective onto their story. They get to create whatever story they want out of, you know, that loss. And totally opened my eyes and I was like you are so right like it doesn't have to be this story of tragedy and loss and lacking or longing you know like and then I was like and even more so like it doesn't have to be like that for me either and I think like you said like that's where we miss the mark like we allow these tragedies to kind of like trap us and they do they suck they're horrible they're awful but it's like how do we create meaning like new meaning from this too it doesn't have to be like this can't be the rest of my life, right? Right. Yeah. How are your older kids handling it? Um, I would say my oldest son is having the hardest time. He's twelve, and uh, him and his dad were, you know, best friends, and they loved all the same things. And it's hard now for him to kind of find that connection with somebody else, like you know, they love Star Wars and Lego and, and video games. And, and I try, you know, to play with him and, but it's not the same, right? Like he, he was taught all those things by his dad. So, and then he has friends who, um, he can, he can play those things with, but then I think also he, it reminds him that he doesn't have his dad, you know what I mean? So it's, it's hard. And then my, my second is nine and she, um, has a lot of anxiety, a lot of like, unknowns a lot of her questions start with like what if this happens or what if that happens and I think because now something bad has happened that's kind of always in her mind Mm -hmm. and then my third (laughs) too many kids um she was four when she lost her dad and they were like uh, 
he was her person. He was her person. So she has a really hard time. Um, And she has a really hard time if you kind of bring up anything to do with dad or um, if she finds anything of dad's, she she gets really sad. I think there's like a really cool non-for-profit here called Judy's House where they like take a whole fam. If you've, if you've lost someone, they'll take the whole family in and they divide you into an adult group and then the kids get divided into age-appropriate groups to kind of like move through their grief. So I'm hoping to do that once the kids get a little bit older and once like it just becomes like they understand it a little bit more and to do that together so that we can all like have these conversations it's so layered. You have your grief and you have your children's grief. And, and, and especially as my oldest going through puberty, I'm like, okay, is this puberty? Is this grief? Is this <laughs> manipulate? Like, what is this? Yeah. You know what I mean? You're kind of always questioning like what, what your kids are really going through. <laughs> so hard. <laughs> yeah, it is. How have you been able to deal with your grief now that he's passed? And like, what do you do and what have you found helpful? Yeah. So I went to therapy for a year And I think that helped me at least just make space to just process everything. Yeah. But honestly, like what's really moved the needle for me is working out, Um, especially with the bigger emotions like anger and anxiety, like that just like manifests so physically in your body. I needed a release. So like if I felt that kind of like building up, I would go do like a hit workout or go um, spin or go for a run just to literally like feel that those emotions and then to just release it. Yoga has also been a savior for me. Like I cry in yoga all the time. So that's what I use for when I'm just feeling again, just like overwhelmed or lonely, just kind of have those like negative thoughts spiraling through my mind. So yeah, fitness has been like my safe haven. Um, I've also done a lot of like alternative healings this year (laughs) just to like get out. And some of them have worked, some of them not so much. I'm trying to create a support system. Like my parents have been awesome, but it's hard. Like they want to live their own life too. And I, you know, it's been two years now and I feel like the further out you get from your loss, people expect more of you. Like they expect yes. you to like move on. And we all like, if you, if you've been through a loss, you know, you don't move on, you move forward and that the grief doesn't necessarily get easier. In a lot of ways it gets harder because you do lose support from people. And like for me, like this year in my second, I'm entering my third year, right? It's like, I don't know. I had this like vision that I'd be able to just like fix everything. Like I'd find a new guy. I'd like do a job. <laughs> like I would just like fix it. <laughs> yeah. I'm like in going into year three and I'm like, oh my God, like this sucks. Like I miss my husband. I really hate being a single mom. There are times where I just feel so freaking resentful of my kids and I don't want to feel that way, but like I'm not the same mom that I used to be and just trying to like accept that and know that I like can't be the same mom and to like be okay with that has been so hard. So it's just, I mean, I'm, (laughs) I feel feel all of that so hard. And like, I, what I found strange was that I felt like the second year was harder than the first year um, because it's like reality is hitting. And like you said, the people are, are not there as much anymore. Of course. Like, and I always have a really hard time about feeling like I'm a burden on other people because now I'm the only one that's like solely responsible for my children. And I don't have that other person who you know, feels the same, you know, that has that same responsibility. So then if I have to get someone to watch them or help me with something, it's like, I am now burdening them 
Right. And I also feel like my life is more a mess than it was before. You know, like I'm like, why, why haven't I gotten my crap together yet? Like, you know, it's just, that could be the title of your next book. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> why haven't I gotten my crap together? <laughs> Guilty for like leaving them. Like, I think we have yeah. this narrative that actually some of my family members have almost like perpetuated, which really makes me mad, but they're, it's like, you know, like they already lost their dad and now I'm like not there for them too. But oh. I bring back to the fact that it's like, I need to put on my oxygen mask first. Otherwise I'm not going to be able to do anything. Like that's what they tell you on the airlines. Right. Like, yes. Yeah. And it's funny because my, when I used to be drowning in like newborn twins and, and, and the other kids, my husband, I would text him and say like, I'm going crazy. And he would say like, you need to take a break or like put on your oxygen mask. Like you can't help anybody else right now until you help yourself. And he said that to me so much when he was alive that now it's like, okay, like if he said that when he was alive, like he, he would mean it now too. Like I can't feel guilty for like taking care of myself or I did go back to work. So I work part-time and I, my kids are in, my little kids are at daycare and like, I can't feel bad about that. Like I need to be able to take that time for myself, you know, do things that are going to help me so I can help them. Totally. And I've like found like, I, like I was a stay at home mom and I'm like, I can't do that anymore. Like I just Uh like, it used to be that like I did the home thing and he did the work thing. And then we were like partners at the end of the day, but now my partner's gone and that has just changed the entire dynamic. And that's something that you don't, that I think that people, you know, who haven't experienced a loss don't necessarily understand is that there's so much secondary loss that comes. It's like you lose your role as a wife, you lose like your sense of identity and purpose in life, you lose your shared dreams together, you lose that like family structure. It's like, how am I whole now as like a family of three? And it's just like, there's so much more that comes with just the loss of a person. And it's hard to communicate that sometimes um, and have to move through each of those losses kind of in- individually and really, you know, process and accept and then make mindset adjustments <laughs> as to like how you're going to create your life moving forward. I saw you posted a couple funny videos or topics about sort of like what dating as a widow <laughs> is and has that sort of been part of your, yeah, what has that been like? It's been interesting. I <laughs> so I've I've talked to a lot of widows about this, and I think especially like in my situation with we had a long period of that anticipatory grief. Like Ian and I lost a lot of like our ability, you know, to be like really intimate or to go on dates and to do some of those things that we would have been able to do in our relationship early on, right? Mm-hmm. So. When Ian died, like I was ready to date at six months after Ian died. And yeah. and I was just like really, really lonely. But I was like, I want to get out there. I like, you know, I want to go out to dinner. I just want to, you know, just do like date again, like feel attractive and whatever. Be touched by someone else and my freaking kids. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I got on the apps and I sorry, there's a little background noise here. Oh, um, okay. I started dating and yeah, like <laughs> So you have kids, right? So it comes up. They're like, oh, okay. So are you like 50-50 with that? And I'm like, no, like my husband actually passed away. I have them all the time. Yeah. And like crickets. Because <laughs> no knows what to say. We don't know how to talk about that. And so sometimes I'd get like a reaction. You would be like, all right. They just are totally silent. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry. 
like, so what else do you like to do? And just like totally avoid the conversation, the topic, or they would just like overly dwell on it. And they're like, oh my God, are you okay? Like, it's passed away six months ago. Like, just make me feel like super insecure and unsure about even like being there. So that was like, that's where I think I posted that video. But then what's been hard, okay, well, two things. So I ended up dating a guy for like three months. And what happened with him is that like, I've been very, like, it's a big, like, deal breaker for me um, if I can't talk about Ian. He's going to be a part of my life. He's a part of my children's life. And I want to keep his legacy and memory alive Um, because that's important for me to heal. It's important for my kids. And that made this person really insecure. So we did not work out. We ended things. And then I ended up getting into another relationship this past year over COVID and we dated for a while, like six months. And he was like a really, really awesome guy, checked all the boxes, was great with the kids. I could talk about Ian, like all the stuff, but I just got insane anxiety after a while. It was like, cause I could see us headed in this direction of things working out. And I just don't think that my heart is like ready. So like now I'm just taking a break. I just, I've decided I just like need to be alone. I think like in hindsight, it feels like all of that dating has just been this like band-aid, like yeah. this quick fix. And now I just like, I'm ripping it off. I just need to like feel my grief and just, yeah, be in yeah. it and process. And um, it's hard. It's really, really hard. Like my knee-jerk reaction is like to just jump on another app and like start flirting with someone, but it's like, no, oh, Emily. Oh my gosh. I have like the complete opposite <laughs> I'm going to be single for the rest of my life. Uh, That's it. No more. Like, I don't want to go anywhere near anyone, but I know that that's not realistic either. Right. And that's, yeah, I don't know. Michelle and I joke that we're both going to be single spinsters, but we'll just have a platonic weird modern relationship where um, we just, you know, we live together and raise her children and all this stuff. (laughs) Obviously, my experience is much different, but I just had an eight-year relationship end. You know, my therapist was really encouraging about it's okay to be ready to date sooner than maybe society thinks you should. Or and she was, and I was like, I just think like, who's gonna want all this baggage? Like <laughs> between my ex-partner and I, we have five dogs and five cats, and not on purpose, but here we are. <laughs> and you know, I'm in my 30s, and you know all this stuff. And she was like, I think you just need to realize that everybody's got baggage. Every at this stage in your life, everybody comes with something, mm-hmm. and you know, it, you don't have to meet someone who's going to be your next soulmate. You just need to get out there and meet people and, you know, go for drinks and see what's out, see what feels right. And I was like, I was like, well, okay, well, I'll give it a try then. It's so true. And it's like that baggage is like, is what has made us who we are today. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I'm trying to, I'm trying to like reframe that too, because that definitely comes up for me. But I'm also, it's just funny. Like I'm totally open to anything. It's like, I feel like before Ian died, I just had this like perspective of like how my life should be, right? It's like go to school, get a job, get married, have kids, have a family. And once like Ian died, that like whole paradigm was just like destroyed. And now I'm like, I don't have to live by anyone else's rules. I just need to like figure out what matters to me and like create a life based off of that because like that's been kind of like a 
freeing experience, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's funny, Kurt Carling and I were having a conversation about that uh, last week because I was like, you know, I met my partner when we were, like, I met my husband when we were 16 and we got married when we were 24. And then we had our first nine months later. And then we had four more. And it's just like, now I'm, 36 and I'm like who am I now you know like what do I what do I actually want now in my future you know if I can't have him and it's just like such a I don't know it is freeing but it's also scary right to to try to make the right decisions and I don't know it's it's complicated for sure no I mean I feel you on all of that those fronts and I I hired I I got I got a coach because I was like I don't know where to start it's like you just feel so lost and so overwhelmed. Yeah, because you just lose that future together. So I, I, I got some help with that. And that's actually, that was really instrumental. She kind of just said, let's go back to your core values, what matters to you. And we did, we just kind of pieced together, like how I can at least just start to move the needle forward one small day, one small step, one small day at a time. I think you kind of have to have that mindset because if you look too far ahead, it just feels so overwhelming. Yeah. So what work do you do then? Uh, you said you started a, a movement called the get is the get through movement. Oh, it's called So it's a, it's a company called move through. Move through. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Well, that's okay. Move through T H R U. And that, be, that came out of this working with the coach. Cause I was like, I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life. Like I, like I had left marketing, you know, and it wasn't at a, point in my life where I wasn't making a ton of money. So like for me to go back to that, I was like, ugh, just felt like just so jaded by everything. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I had read, I think it might've been option B by Sheryl Sandberg. And in it, she kind of talks about just like ways to give meaning to your loss. Like how, like, you know, like mad was started by like a mom who lost their, her son to like a drunk driver. And I started thinking of like, Oh, that, that kind of sounds like something that I'd like to do is like, how can I create meaning out of this meaningless death essentially. And so I thought about like what mattered to Ian and Ian was really big on just like helping people just be the best versions of themselves and like feel better. And so I kind of took that and then I, my, I value movement. Like movement has been such a constant in my life and really like saved me through the day, you know, the time leading up to Ian's death and then every day after. And I love like the idea of inspiration and just like, I've, he, I've healed a lot by sharing my story because when someone can say like, wow, like you're really helping me, like that really resonated with me, like that, that helps me heal as well. So I kind of just like took all those different pieces and we created, I created Move Through and yeah, basically it's um, helping people cope with grief through exercise. And since I launched it, before the pandemic. So what that looked like was teaching like um, intention-based workouts at my spin studio here in Denver, where it was just like a community of us who had lost someone and we'd work out together. But, and I'm, the inspiration would be very focused on like different emotions. So like, how are we going to move through fear? How are we going to move through loneliness? How are we going to move through anger? Then the pandemic hit. (laughs) (laughs) And then I decided to develop an online course, which has actually been kind of cool because it, it takes clients through the move through method 
method, which is like an eight-step sequence that's based on acceptance and commitment therapy. I had a social worker kind of help me. I consulted her and she kind of pointed me in the right direction, but it just helps us say, okay, I'm, I'm feeling angry and to own our anger instead of suppressing it because we've been taught We've been taught to suppress, essentially. It's like, you're not supposed to fall apart. You're not supposed to like feel angry. You're not supposed to feel sad. You know, we're just obsessed with being happy. So um, Move Through teaches you to own your feelings. It teaches you like why they're valid, like why you are literally physiologically responding in this way and psychologically responding as a product of your loss and then how to experience these emotions through movement. And then once you kind of experience them, then you're able to actually like challenge the thoughts that might be driving them. And how do I reframe these thoughts that are kind of like trapping me in my grief or in my circumstance? So yeah, that's kind of what Move is about. I love that. I think it's great though, like that you've taken this experience and been able to like, you know, heal yourself by helping others. And I feel like that's kind of why we started the podcast too, like to be able to listen to other people's stories and see what they've been able to survive and how they are and how, how they've come through it all. And it, it helps, you know, to talk about it, no matter what someone's situation is, like everyone has something hard that they've, that they've been through or that they're going through. Right. And and I guess it just puts things a little bit into perspective and it and it can really heal you as well. Absolutely. Like whenever people are like, thank you so much for your, like your videos or your posts or this move through. And I'm like, you guys don't understand. Like you're healing me too. This is like a mutually beneficial relationship here. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so thankful that you said yes to being on our podcast. Yes. Thank you so much. You guys are awesome. I'm so glad that we connected and I can't wait to hear the episode and to share it and to, you know, share your guys' podcast too with my community. So thank you. Yeah. Do you have a move through Instagram? I think we just follow you on your main. I do have one and I just, it's just been hard for me to manage both. Yeah. (laughs) You can definitely direct people there. It's move through grief, T-H-R-U, but I'm definitely posting more on my personal right now. But if people want to find out about move through, it's movethroughgrief.com. And then I also have a private Facebook group that's gotten pretty active. So that's exciting, but they can join and they can go to the link on my profile and and join that way. Well, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much again. Thank you guys. This was really fun. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Michelle. Hey, Carly. (laughs) Um, My God, Emily, thank you so much for being on our podcast. She's so amazing. I watch her TikToks and I watch her Instagrams and like everything she says is so bang on and inspirational and just so good. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. It just makes you feel less alone as as a widow and as a mother and yeah. And things like that. So I'll put I'll put all of her information in our show notes, mm-hmm. so everybody can check her out. We'll take her on Instagram. Oh, isn't that a nice segue? Folks, we're on Instagram <laughs> and Facebook. So if you haven't already, you should follow us on social media. We can pretty much be found everywhere. Under I did not sign up for this. Yeah, we just posted a little. Uh, picture of our new setup that we yeah. have going on here. Yeah, Michelle thought it appropriate on valentine's day to put me back in the closet <laughs> so here i am you know carly it's been a long time <laughs> get back Just in there shove you back in no i cleaned out my closet you know what I, see this is what i do instead of like tackling things that i actually need mm-hmm, to tackle mm-hmm. like laundry and things like that grief 
Okay. <laughs> I take on a project that's really not necessary, but I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to yeah. clean out my entire closet, stick my desk in here, mm-hmm. and now we have a little recording studio. Yeah. And we are insulated by clothing. Yeah. my I'm currently half under <laughs> some hanging clothes. <laughs> it's great. I love it. We, we'll adjust. Yeah. We can adjust. Oh, but, yeah. Um, I think it'll be fun. We'll see how the sound works out. But, yeah. But uh, we're just a little bit more insulated than we were before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, guys, I hope everybody had a really nice Valentine's Day. And I hope everybody is having a great Tuesday. Uh-huh. And we'll see you next week. All right. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>